0: I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is God's word. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be with you all. And as I said, we are, we're studying discipleship. We're studying discipleship for the whole year. And uh, today we're looking at Jesus uh, in, in this, this section of Mark 2 where he uh, is at a party. Uh, he's at a party with the tax collectors. And we're going we're gonna to work this out and we're going to try to ask the question, what does this mean? Uh, for us, and um, yeah, I hope that this, this is helpful, and that it gives you something to uh, to think about and to apply. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this church, this body of believers that you're bringing together. Um, I want to thank you for the fact that kind of fun stuff has happened just in the last couple of days. Even that just uh, an hour ago or so, our mural was finished. And uh, that neighbors are really enjoying that and are just uh, excited to see it uh, finished and are happy uh, that our church was able to provide that. So, thank you so much uh, for that idea that we had and that it's gone so well and that it's been so well received. Uh, Thank you for our our church and the ways that you're at work in our lives, in the people's lives who are here, uh, for all of the circles of influence you've given us, all the friendships you've given us, all the family members that you've given us, and for the way that you are, are building your kingdom through uh, our feeble efforts. And so I thank you for your grace uh, that invites us into your mission, and I pray that you would fuel us forward by the gospel in Jesus's name. Amen. Well, so uh, it's it's funny because I've got, we've got a couple of friends from Phoenix uh Christian Reformed Church, who came down to visit, and the last time I went to their church, uh, you might remember I went and preached at Phoenix CRC, and I'd just been in this music video, which was like my big thing. And then I came; I was coming back home to Tucson, and Nick, in his words, was yacking like a beast. I believe at the time, meaning he was not feeling well, and uh, he wasn't going to be able to preach. And so I came, and I uh, and I shared the same uh, message here about being in the music video. And uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a lot different sermon. I mean, I think some of you might have seen me jump in the air and potentially yell, which has really never happened before or since, um, either in Phoenix or here, guys. I mean, the one time you met me, that's that's just what happened. But um, uh, the cool thing is, a couple of days ago, I got invited back uh, by by the artist, by Sean Louis, uh, to cruise around in some little razor scooters uh, behind a truck with lights and. And so I get to be in another, another music video. So I'm, I'm just an extra in music videos. That's my, that's my uh, new thing. Um, but, but in a way, I was, I was thinking about the irony of, uh, of the timing of this sermon and, and that event. But I think the thing I was most excited about and what I told Sean Louis at the end was just, it's just really, really fun to be wanted in those kind of places, in those kind of spaces, it's just it's exciting that somebody thinks I'm doing this thing that I'm excited about in my career, I'm doing this thing I'm excited about in my life and I want you there. And I think to me like that's that's my favorite part about it was that he wanted me there. And that I I got to meet some more of his friends and and be a part. I didn't have any big dramatic thing like the last time. Uh, we really seriously rode razor scooters around the same block of downtown like 10 times and it was really cold and then I went home and watched PBS, and that was really all there was to it. But he invited me back, and that was just really exciting to me. And I think, I think that's what we see in the life of Jesus, is that Jesus isn't just you know, inserting himself into these events, these weddings and these parties and where he's you know, reclining at the table with tax collectors and sinners. The fact is he's getting invited to be in those places. And that's what's most interesting to me. The story that we, uh, that we heard just now out of Mark 2, 13 to 17, is in all of the synoptic gospels. And synoptic, that word simply means that the three of the gospels seem to be telling the story from the same angle, from the same uh, perspective. And in all of those, this story is shared. And so you could say, this story like is beyond a doubt a part of the life of Jesus. Like all of the writers gathered this story together. Not that I'm doubting any of the other stories, but this one just has a lot of evidence uh, backing it up. And it's, it's also not only this story, but it's a major theme in the life of Jesus. Some other examples would be Matthew 11 and Luke 7, where Jesus is comparing himself and being compared to John the Baptist. And he says, look, John the Baptist and I are having the same experience, essentially. We're being rejected, but for two completely different reasons. John the Baptist was rejected because he was too rigid. He was like too strict. And they said, he's, you know, John the Baptist, he's not eating or drinking anything. He's not going to any parties. He's doing nothing controversial at all. He's too strict, and he demands people to be too strict. And then Jesus comes, and he's going to the wedding, and he's going to the dinner, and he's turning water into wine, and he's being called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners, and people are rejecting him for that. And Jesus says, look, we're both being rejected even though we're doing the completely opposite thing. Another example would be Luke 7, 36 to 50. In Luke 7, Jesus, you might remember, is, he gets his feet anointed by what's called a woman of the city, right? And, um, and I'd like to tell you that meant just she lived downtown, but it means more than that. Um, she was a woman of the city. She, she had a reputation. She was known for something. We, we can guess what that might be. And she breaks open her expensive perfume, and she washes his feet with her hair. And people are aghast, you know, how, oh my, how could you let her touch you? I mean, do you know who that is? And he tells a story of two people that owe a lot of money. One owes a massive amount of money. And the other person, the amount they owe isn't nearly as big of a deal. And he says, look, these two debtors owe a lot of money. One owes the massive amount of money. One owes a lot less. They're forgiven their debt. Who loves the one who forgave their debt the most? And they said, well, probably the one with the huge, huge amount. And he said, right, because you love more when you've been forgiven much. And he points to this woman, he says, she loves very much because she needed to be forgiven a lot. Luke 15, um, Jesus is ter- telling some parables about seeking out lost things. You know, the shepherd who seeks out the lost sheep, the person who seeks for their lost coin. And um, he says the kingdom of God is like this. Um, and I, we've discussed these in, in sermons before where, you know, there's this excitement. In fact, I think it was the same the same sermon I shared in Phoenix. There's this excitement over finding the coin that the person is going and they, they celebrate finding the one coin that was lost, and this is an analogy of how God feels about seeking after a lost person. And then the final story, the final parable is is the prodigal son, which takes it to a whole other level because it's one thing to think that somebody's lost. Somebody kind of just drifted and and wandered off. But in the story of the prodigal son, we have a son who, who didn't just wander off. We have a rebellious son who wasted everything that his father gave to him and who kind of renounces his father and, and runs off and does his own thing. And he squanders everything and he blows it. He really just destroys his life, destroys his father's name. And he has this older brother who doesn't do any of that. He's just home following the rules, doing everything that's right. And this younger son, he finally comes to the end of himself and he says, what have I done? And he comes back to his father and he falls down before him and he confesses what a lost cause he's become. And his father receives him back and not only receives him back, but throws the the biggest party that he can to celebrate his son who was lost and now is returned. And the older brother just can't believe it, right? And he goes, what about me? And now the people who are hearing Jesus' stories realizes he's not talking about somebody that just wandered off. He's talking about somebody who's actively rebelling and squandering what God has given them. Luke 19, there's Zacchaeus, the chief of the tax collectors, it says, um, who's, uh, he apparently is guilty of of fraudulent business activity too, because he promises a little bit later to pay back those who he's defrauded. And in Luke 19, Zacchaeus comes to see Jesus. Jesus uh, forgives him. Zacchaeus welcomes him into his house, promises to change his ways, to restore, um, you know, the damage that he's done. And again, people are looking at him as he goes over to to Zacchaeus' house with all of his wealthy, fraudulent friends, and people look at him and go, especially the Pharisees, the religious folks, how could you associate with these people? How could you associate with these people? It's a theme of Jesus' life that he was known for spending time in the homes of, at the parties of, people who not only um, didn't believe, potentially, but misbehaved politically, personally, sexually, socially. They misbehaved. And it seems, I would almost say, a key to his discipleship method was to spend time with these people. And as our text says in the end, he had come not to call the healthy, but to to reach out and to call the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor; it's the sick who need a doctor," he said. So, um, go and do likewise, right? Just go for it. Uh, go out and go to all the parties and have all the fun, and that'd be a, that'd be an easy sell at our church. I think. I actually think that'd be a super easy sell. Um, knowing our church, if I if I were maybe if I were at Phoenix CRC, it'd be like the opposite. But at our, at our church, and our community, like that's, that's an easy sell. It's an easy sell to me. You know, go to parties. Okay, sure. No problem. I'd, I'd love that. That sounds really fun. But it's not, it's never quite that simple. So I want to cover three things here. What it doesn't mean, what it does mean, and how to do this. And I'm going to spend more time on what it doesn't mean for us. Because I think for us, that's an easy sell. It doesn't mean to emulate Jesus in this discipleship strategy of his, it doesn't mean that everybody should do exactly the same thing strategically. I'm pulling that from um, this Matthew 11, Luke 7 idea of John and Jesus. I mean, G- John came, it says, he didn't eat or drink. He, didn't, he was not a partier, he, was, he abstained from almost everything. He lived a very ascetic lifestyle in many ways. He didn't eat or drink. And they said, he has a demon because he was calling people to repentance. Jesus ate and drank and was called a glutton and a drunkard. John was called to renounce and stand apart from things for the glory of God. He didn't receive any of the pleasures or the luxuries. He didn't go to the parties. That was his calling by God. Jesus came to walk among us, to live our experience and to show us mercy One drew attention, I would say, to the law, and one drew attention to the gospel. But the law and the gospel are not two things, they are one. Without understanding that God has a law, there is no gospel. Gospel is good news, which means that you've broken God's law in your heart and in your actions, and you need his mercy. If you can't hear the bad news, there is no good news. They are one. John and Jesus had the same ministry, but they drew attention to different things. I I suppose the same is true today, that not all have the same calling. Let's just take two like really well-known, I don't know, entities. The International Justice Mission, okay? International Justice Mission, these are the people that in countries where sexual slavery is a, is a major thing, where it needs to be prosecuted, um, they break into brothels, they have guns and they have ammunition and they have like their vests, their bulletproof vests, they break into buildings at gunpoint, take back the children uh, who have been enslaved and then they work tirelessly for years and years and years to prosecute the people who they have caught breaking these laws, <clears throat> damaging these children's lives so that they can bring them to justice, so that they can ultimately bring just laws to these countries to protect these children more and more and more. And they, before they go, they come to Jesus in prayer because they're generally, they're led by Christians. I mean, they're not just hanging out with the guys from the brothels, right? Like, hey, you like, it's all about, you know, Jesus loves you. Like that's really the main thing you need to know. No, they kick down their doors and put guns to their heads. And nobody's mad about it. Except for the guys getting their doors kicked down. And then some people are more like <clears throat> good news oriented. I think about Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. I mean, he he's he's in the the you know, the big political circles. He's sitting with presidents and he, he never really took the approach or very rarely took the approach of like, you know, drilling down the hard thing or fighting the fight. He was always like sitting with people, like he was kind of close to them, trying to get them to see mercy, trying to get them to see grace. His crusades were all about, you know, come to Jesus, let sinners come to him. Very different ministries are they both of God? That's an important question to ask. Are they both of God? And I, I, I would say they are. Jesus, in fact, said, especially in relation to this comparison between him and John the Baptist, he said, wisdom is justified by her children. And that's an interesting statement. What he means, I believe, is that like the wise action is justified by the, the result of it. You see it, not, it doesn't necessarily work out the same way, but what is the result? And I would say the result that we're looking for is, does this build the kingdom of God? Does this exalt who God is and the righteousness of God? Does it exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I would say both John the Baptist in his abstaining and his calling for repentance and Jesus in his sitting at the party and offering mercy, it, absolutely, they both served the same purpose. I would say International Justice Mission, as far as I could tell, Billy Graham, they're both serving the same Christ, the same purpose, completely different calls, completely different methods. So not everybody's going to do the exact same thing. I've known some, uh, some people, uh, kind of the younger musician group, I don't know, I feel like some of us may have grown up with some of these folks who, they got kind of you know disenfranchised with the church and they were like, hey... I, you know, like music is my church. Like I'm going to, I'm going to just be in a band and I'm going to travel. Um, and, and this is going to be, this is going to be where I find community. This is going to be how I glorify God with my, my gifts. I, I know people who do this, you know, the same mindset with like hiking, you know, like being outdoors. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really, really like like the, the whole religious thing. This is my church. This is my mode of worship. Um, people do that with business. You know, they, they go like, I feel like I should do good works and the church isn't really getting it done. I get more done in my business. Like, this is my church. This is where I serve Christ. But unfortunately, some of those people I knew who went off on that mission, they lost the whole thing. It all fell apart. The lifestyle of the road got them all wrapped up. They, they ended up, they, they kind of threw it all away. Was their wisdom justified by its children? Not necessarily. But then I've seen the flip side. One of my uh, favorite rappers is Andy Cooper, which if you go listen to him, you'll understand. He's kind of a lanky white guy. And it it kind of brings together my whole rap white guy persona. It's just in him. you could see like ah here's how Andy reconciles this, Andy Cooper. That's how he did it. But uh, Andy Cooper is in the band Ugly Duckling, and he is uh, he's a Christian, and he's kind of a goofy one. Honestly, like he's kind of a goofy dude. But he for years and years has like been a, a committed Christian in a group of people who are not necessarily and definitely in all kinds of venues in which there are not a lot of Christians. And I, I listened to a podcast by him not too long ago. I, I put it up on our members page where he was talking to this, I think it was a radio personality in LA, and, t- and something came up about him being religious, and Andy Cooper kind of explains the gospel and some of his viewpoints and then says some weird stuff about the end of the world as well, which is interesting. Um, but the guy, the radio DJ, was just like, what? I had no idea. Like, and he's like, has this always been the case? And Andy was like, yeah, man. I mean, it's kind of in my records. And it is. Like if, you re- if you listen to him, he mentions it. Something about he, he could be in that space. What's the difference? I- I'm not 100% sure. But being in that space for him didn't cause him to throw it all away. Was his method justified by the results? I would say, yeah, it was. So it doesn't mean everybody needs to do the same thing. Number two, it doesn't mean you go to the party at your spiritual peril. Your discipleship method shouldn't cause you to go astray. Jesus you know, said somewhere, if your, if your eye caused you to sin, you know what? Gouge it out. So I think it would, that's drastic. But you know, if going to the party causes you to sin, don't go. That's, like, that must be what that means at least, right? If going to this party caused you to sin, don't go. Don't linger where you're tempted. There's a tension somewhere between, I think, what's in Proverbs 13.20 and 1 Corinthians 15, this idea that bad company corrupts good morals. That's, what I always, that's why I wasn't allowed to go anywhere as a kid, right? My mom was like, the mall? Bad company corrupts good morals. Yeah. I was like, mom, the mall, come on. I just want some, just want some nice kicks. Here's the thing. Why are you there? What's your goal? I think that's what matters. Like bad company corrupts good morals is true. It can be absolutely true. But it isn't always. Why are you there? Why are you going? Are you seeking to kind of control your life and your feelings by getting in these situations, being around people that that make you feel accepted? Are you trying to, you know, are you trying to go to the party to get the beer that's finally going to take the edge off of your pain? If that is the case, don't go. For goodness sake, don't go. But if you, are a, if you are not feeling that at all, if you feel accepted as a person, if you're trusting God, your, there is no goal of taking off the edge or anything like that, then maybe, maybe you could go. It's not one or the other. At this, at this point in my life, and I know this isn't the case for all of you, but for me, like drinking a beer, I mean, some of you guys know me well enough to know I cannot make it through an eight ounce beer. It's just not even like a big thing. I don't even like them that much. I get through like four ounces and I'm like, I'm bored. And I don't feel anything and I just want to move on. Like that's just, that's just me. And so if I, if somebody's having drinks at a party, I'm it doesn't, it, I'm not really too concerned because I know like that's, it's not a big pull, it's not a thing that like get you know satisfies my soul, but that's not a universal rule. I mean I know some of us here, you can't go there. And that's good, and you should know that, and you shouldn't go. There are many other cases of this. A long time ago I heard a pastor share this about this ministry he had to the strip clubs. And it was an inspiring story. He and his people would go in and they would like actually like take over the joint and like change the whole culture inside and like mess it all up. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And then right away inside of my heart, I was like, I'm never going to be a part of that ministry. Nope. I just, I know. I was the kid who wanted, always wanted a girlfriend. I wanted to get married like when I was two like, I don't need to be looking at women. That's, for me, not a good move, right? Don't go to parties at your peril. If you were once weak in an area, you probably still are. Just, that's okay. We have different callings. See it, understand it, accept it. And it's not just like beers and sex, right? Like, those are like the big, those are the big ones that you could look at and be like, oh, yeah, you know. No, there's, it's, it goes way deeper than that. My buddy Caleb, I always bump into him at Crave Coffee. In fact, I just sat next to him for like the last hour. And uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, we were talking about, you know, how how our church was like going on during the Super Bowl, which is one of our big weird things is that we have church during the Super Bowl. And then he was talking about how he, because he goes to the village, and his church kind of does that too. But he went to the morning service because they have two services now, and in his head he was like, Sweet, I'm going to go to the morning service, I'm going to duck out of there, and I'll get home in time for the game. But he got home in time for the game, turned it on, and it dawned on him, and he, you know, this is more important to me than anything else right now. Watching this football game, like, never on a Sunday would I run away from all of my friends and from my Christian community. I would never do that. Why did I just do it today? And he, it, for him, it clicked this is my idol and he turned it off and went back uh, that's amazing that's great you need to see what's what's my idol what's my thing cuz cuz maybe maybe it's not you know just beers and sex maybe it's sports maybe it's money maybe it's expressing your creativity maybe it's sharing your opinion maybe it's board games like what is it that like that sucks you in, numbs the pain, becomes your identity, whatever it is don 't go there don 't go there at your spiritual per- at your spiritual peril know what you struggle to worship. had we had a, um, a pastor 's gathering this week where we talked about politics, and uh, my buddies Chris and Jim from Phoenix came down and they talked about um, Yeah, just the the political dilemmas within our churches and the part that stuck out to me most, and you'll probably hear more of this line of thought when we get into the, the politics section of our year later. But Jim said, and it was so true, he said, this isn't just our political view. These are our religions. He said, look at what you meditate on day and night. He said, if you are always tuned in to what's going on in the debate today and and politics today, if you meditate on it day and night, it's become your God. It's become your religion. If it gives you hope, if it falls apart and your hope is gone, or if it goes your way and your hope is finally inflated and finally back, I mean, this, this has become a God to you. So we have to ask the question, what do we shape our life around? What dictates our schedule don't put yourself in peril in any of those departments. Know your heart. Know your heart. God is always in the business, and I, and I see this in my life and in many of yours. He dethrones our idols because he loves us too much to let us wander off, even in the name of discipleship. I heard a story of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliott's brother. Um, and when he was a kid, a little kid, um, his parents told him to go clean his room. And they went into his room and he was singing, but he wasn't cleaning. And they said, what? hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, I was singing to the Lord. And his dad said, the Lord is not interested in your singing unless you're being obedient. Whew. That was good. That was good parenting. That was super good parenting. Interestingly, God might dethrone our idol that has to do with outreach or justice or mission work. He might if it gets in the way of us dealing with him and putting him on the throne of our hearts. In the parable of the lost sheep, he's bringing people back from what they wanted to wonder after, right? The woman of the city, she idolized something that led her into to her life. I don't was it money, stability, acceptance? I don't know. But something, you don't just go after something you don't love or think is really important. Zacchaeus idolized money and power. Now you can do good with money, but it can be your idol. And when Jesus finds us, he calls us away from the things that put us in spiritual peril, no matter what they are. And in fact, in these texts, the people who are criticizing him are the religious people, and he's calling them away from some of that because they have put their religious value above the God of their souls. Number three, it doesn't mean that you either party or worship with a mask on. It's not about shape-shifting. The you who worships the Lord and bows down before him in praise ought to be the same person watching the game Enjoying a drink, dancing out at girls or guys' night, same person. Should be the same person. Christians are not of this world. That's what Jesus was saying. And we should be recognizable. We should be the same, the same people. If if the people in your life that you work with walked in here, they should go: same guy, same girl, same person. The, The you that comes up and partakes of the body and blood of Christ should be the same person. That walks into somebody's house on a Saturday night, and I don't mean this to be a guilt trip because I'm not saying like clean up your act outside necessarily. I'm saying be more honest here, and more Christian out. Both, both. I had a friend in high school, and I, I um, you know, he was a nice guy. He was a guy I really liked. I mean, he was he was one of my friends. We gave each other haircuts and stuff. We were buddies. We did, I charged him, but it was we were still friends. Um, and I went, he invited me to church and we went to church and I was like, who is this guy? Like all of a sudden, this guy is like Mr. Super Holy Dude, just like hands in the air, weeping. I'm like, I've never seen you do this. Like, what, who, what is this? And I asked him, like, I mean, I was awkward enough in high school, right? To just walk out and I was like, Dude, what in the world was that? Like, I'm into church, but what? What was that? That shouldn't be the way it works. Like, if you're that Christian, I guess you better be that way at school or, like, tone it down and be normal. I don't know. Like, same person. You're the same person. I'm watching, um, I told you last week, I'm watching country music on PBS it's really it's good but um here's one of the big themes like one of the big themes of country music right if you haven't and and a lot of other types of music is there's like the the person who like in the same album you know Hank Williams I saw the light and then it's like I'm so lonesome I could cry it's like which one is it like who who are you you know and it's this like this and they always talk about it like the saturday sunday like you go in and you deal with on Sunday what you did on Saturday. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the way it should be. Like It shouldn't just be like you go out and do crazy things on Saturday and you come into church and be like, oh, Lord, forgive me, because that was crazy. <laughs> but you should be honest about who you are on Sunday with all of, with all of your, your brothers and sisters. Like You should be the same person. If, like, if you're really struggling out there, you should be honest. Who you are and what you struggle with. And then what happens on Sunday? You're, you're reveling in the gospel, your worshiping of Christ should shape everything for you. It should shape the way you operate on the weekend, on the weekdays in work. It doesn't mean you put on a mask. And finally, it doesn't mean you're better than anyone. So you don't go seek out poor souls, you don't go seek out the sick. Jesus in Mark 2, when he says the healthy, um, you know, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, this is a little tongue-in-cheek. You know, his critics were not healthy. His disciples were not healthy. That's not what he was saying. He was in the midst of correcting them. What he was saying was something to the effect of only people who can admit that they are sick can accept the ministry of the doctor, Right? You have to go into the office. You have to admit it. That's who Jesus came for. The sick are ahead of the curve in Jesus' mind because they know that they're sick. They can admit it. They can honestly say, I need a savior. Jesus is saying, I am the great physician, but you have to admit that you need me. So to go out to the party or an outreach event or meet your neighbors or anything, you know, better not be, cannot be because you think you're better you're not the healthy going to the sick. You are sick taking people with you to the great physician. So to be like Jesus at the party, it's not any of those things. What does it doesn't mean? I think it's simple. Jesus' strategy was to be out and about with people. He went out to people. He didn't make people come to him. He went to them. He influenced them. He discipled them. He brought his disciples with him into these spaces. Discipleship to him wasn't just a post-conversion thing where he kind of like sat in religious spaces, opened the door and said, perhaps they'll come in and inquire. No, he went to them. It's that simple. And where could, could you go? Anywhere. I'm not saying just like go find beer parties, obviously. I'm not saying that. Where do you go? Where, do you, where could you go? Where are, where are people? Where are your acquaintances? Where are your friends? Where are your family members? Go to them. Go to them. How do you find these people? They're not going to come to church. Maybe 30 years ago, they would have. No more. Like, Chances are, it's very rare that anyone will grace that front door who, who doesn't already kind of buy in. And why would they? I mean, I was imagining when we did our little, like, our little food out in the front, you know, parking lot thing, I was, it dawned on me, if I were walking around downtown and there was a building with doors open and music inside, I would not assume I should go in. You know, I'd be like, I wonder what those people are doing. They're probably a part of some kind of event. I was not invited. I shall move on, right? That's simple. That's simple. Like, nobody's going to come in here. Why would they? You got to go to them. Jesus went to community events with his disciples to make disciples. He went to weddings. He went to just general hangouts. Um, He called insiders to repent. He called outsiders to enter. Jesus went to them. He was authentically who he was, the son of God, out in the city and out at the party. And that's what we would do. We, if we have been adopted into Christ, if we're sons and daughters of Christ, we should be authentically sons and daughters of Christ out and about. It's kind of that simple. This is why here at Mission, we prioritize doing like kind of events out with the community. Like when we find something we can do, that's why we do Cyclovia. That's why the mural thing was about the neighborhood, not about the church. Like, do you you see the stress? It's just like, be with people. Like, let's do that. Because if we just do stuff here or have a cool service or have cooler music, it's, it's, nobody cares. Okay. Lastly, a few, a few thoughts of how to party like Jesus, which was a cheesy thing to say. A few thoughts. <laughs> Jesus must not have been their critic. The thing that struck me as I looked at all these instances was that Jesus was getting invited. They wanted Jesus there. He was their friend. They knew he was approachable. They knew that what he had to say had value. It wasn't like he just dumbed it down. I mean, he brought like meaningful discussion to the table, sometimes like a very high moral standard to the table, but it was an appealing one that they wanted to hear. They knew he was their friend. He got invited a lot. He must have been trusted. They wanted him there. People need to know that we are not their critics, that we love them, that we can see where they're coming from. Jesus came across that way to people. He Did he disagree with people? Yes. Did he call people the carpet? Yes, he did. But he also got invited in by a lot of people who society was like, whoa, we can't go in there. Nobody can go in there. And those people were like, Jesus, please come to my house. We should have that kind of appeal. Jesus must not, though, have just been their peer. He wasn't just one of the, one of the guys because they looked up to him. They wanted him to teach them. They believed he had a high moral standard. As I said, it wasn't an inflated ego. That's repulsive. You get disinvited from parties with your inflated ego but he had something valuable to offer that people wanted to hear. And people followed him, which I think is incredible. He wasn't just one of their peers. So it must not, number three, have just stopped at the party. That wasn't the end of the relationship because some followed him further. They met him in Levi's house, potentially. Like in this, in this, you know, Portion of Mark, it says a lot of these people were already following him. Even though they were considered tax collectors and sinners, they were following him. They were listening to what he had to say. So it wasn't simply that he was partaking of the party, he was there adding depth and meaning, and people said, I want more of that. I want to hear more of that. So when you take seriously Jesus' command to go and disciple, You can no longer think of your relationships as one-dimensional. You have to think, this could have deep spiritual significance. This relationship I have with this person could be the stepping stone that leads them to following Jesus. You have to keep that in mind. Here at Mission, I'm really excited about the fact that this has happened, and I want to see more. Well, we've had the privilege of meeting some people at parties and coffee shops, at bars, at our mural event, and seeing the conversation go deeper than merely just talking about whatever it is we're doing into spiritual things. This is one of the driving visions behind what our church wants to do. I, I, we as elders, want to see all of us honestly, lovingly, being out and about in the middle of people who don't know Jesus, presenting Christ to them because Christ is within us, and taking the conversation deeper and taking them further and further toward Christ to where one day they might actually worship Jesus in spirit and truth, and it would make sense for them to grace our front door. And how do those relationships move forward? People need to sense you love them. Really. People need to sense that you have a depth of spiritual insight. This is like one of the main, there are many reasons you need to like be in the word, but one of them is like, do you? what do you have to say? Like has scripture shaped your heart enough to where a conversation with you is spiritually deep and compelling? And because of prayer. I just, I kind of want to brag about Sarah Ponce. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, Sarah, so. I'm sorry. But, you know, in in light of our mural project at our small group, Sarah's praying for Porter and Lee, who did the mural. I mean, that is what we want to see, is like engagement and prayer, like specific prayer for people we've met and we've come to love. If you're a Christian, you're called to make disciples. They won't just come to you. You're going to have to go with them. You're going to have to be with people, with friends, with family, in their spaces. You're going to have to be that stepping stone for them to see Christ. And our prayer, our hope, is that increasingly, as Jesus and his disciples did here with Levi, who would be called Matthew the tax collector, is that someday we'll start getting to invite, invited to parties of people who invite us because they accepted Jesus. That's the dream. That's what we want to see. I'm inviting you in a moment to the Lord's table. But I want you to realize something, that breaking the bread and drinking the wine was a fairly normal thing. Perhaps at Levi's house that day, before Jesus had ever given it this deep significance, um, perhaps at at Levi's house they broke bread together. Perhaps at Levi's house they drank wine together. When Jesus defined the broken bread as himself in that upper room, when he said, this is my body, broken for you. And when he defined the wine as his blood that ratified a new covenant, which is that God was going to be taking our sins, not only upon a substitutionary animal who would temporarily pay for what we've done, but upon Christ who would once and for all bear the guilt of our sin. When Jesus was doing that, he was infusing meaning into their regular ritual of eating and drinking. The disciples could never go to a party again without seeing Jesus in the very meal they ate. You realize that? Like when they would go over to people's houses and the bread would rip, they would just, their memory would be jogged body broken for me. Every single time. And his call for us is to be the embodiment of that that goes out on mission to other people. We can't make the bread and the wine mean what it means to us, to other people, but we are his body. We are his ambassadors, the scriptures say, and we make our appeal to people, to be reconciled to God. We infuse meaning into the party. We infuse meaning into the sit-down time with our friend in the evening. We infuse meaning into our workplace. We infuse meaning into our city. And your presence is crucial, critical for the mission of Jesus. And your invitation is to invite people as a humble recipient to say, come with me. I have a sickness. I need a doctor. I struggle with my sin. I am broken. Come with me to the doctor that I've found. Come with me and see a body that was broken for you. Come with me and see a covenant, a promise from God that can change everything. When we gather for worship, we remember Christ broken for us. We remember Christ's blood shed for us. Jesus' first miracle was a wedding party where Jesus redeemed the night, right? He takes the water and he turns it into wine. And, you know, the, the people marvel, like, what's, what the, what's the difference here? He saves the best wine for last. Interestingly, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, what, what's at the end? There's a wedding feast, right? There's, there's a party. Jesus, when he broke the bread and gave the wine to his disciples, he said, this is what you do, this is what you do, until the day I drink, with it, I drink this with you in the kingdom. This is like, this is a holdover. There's a party coming. There's a wedding feast coming. It's going to be beautiful. In the meantime, we feast on Christ and the invitation to the table, the only way to come to the table is to say, I am sick. I need the body of Christ to be broken for me. I need the blood of Christ to be spilled for me. I need a doctor, and Christ is the great physician. The invitation is to come and receive him by faith. We're going to sing together now. We're going to worship him with our hearts. Remember, do it honestly. The same you, the same you that's at work, the same you that was out in the evening, come before him honestly. We have giving in the back. Our encouragement is that you give generously out of a love for Christ, and the table is open for you. And don't think you need to come here because you're healthy. If you can sense that you are sick and you have even just a little bit of faith that Christ can heal you, come and receive him by faith.